Welcome back to another episode of the Molds That Make Fatherhood. This season, it's all about co-parenting and promoting my book, It's Not About You, 10 Principles for a Strong Co-Parenting Foundation so you and your children can thrive. Now, this episode is a good one. I'm talking with Heather O'Connor. She is the founder and CEO of O'Connor Family Law, family law attorney. She's great at what she does, and we're going to be talking about best interest of the child. Now, this is a very hot topic, varying opinions on this, but we're going to get it right from a family law attorney, get her take on some of these scenarios. And what I love about Heather is she doesn't mind telling it like it is. She has a huge social media presence. That's where we connected. And I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. So please welcome Heather O'Connor. Welcome back to another episode of The Molds That Make Fatherhood. I am your host, Anthony Johnson. I'm here with Heather from O'Connor Family Law. We're going to talk about a few things, but our main topic is going to be best interest of the child. She is a kick-ass attorney, and <clears throat> I just love her vibe, and I love her energy, and how she just likes to tell it like it is. So I had to have her on. I knew we were going to have a great conversation. And as I mentioned before, this whole season, we're going to be talking about my new book. It's not about you, my new co-parenting book. Uh, you know, 10 Principles for a Strong Co-Parenting Foundation so you and your children can thrive. And thank you so much, Heather, for being on. How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's wonderful. Like we had a, we had, we already had a little bit of banner before we started recording. And uh, like I said, I love your vibe. I love your energy. And I'm, and thank you for being on. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to talk about, you know, I think what you're doing with your book and getting word out there so many people struggle with co-parenting after the relationship disintegrates, whether it's because of a marriage or just, you know, a, a long-term relationship or sometimes not even a relationship. And right. it's definitely a struggle people have. So I'm really glad you're talking about it. And I'm thrilled that you had me come on to, oh, no. to talk about it with you. No, I'm thrilled. Like I, I, I keep hearing a lot of people say there's not, there's not a lot of men in this space. Like talking about co-parenting. I, I don't, well, I don't really know a whole lot of people talking about co-parenting in general. Uh, like I see some people, you know, they have their accounts and some people are talking about it, but it's not like, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. Because I felt like it was a really underserved niche. Like I know people are, you know, people doing what you're doing, like with law and divorce and things like that. But like, then there's the whole element of co-parenting, what happens after that. Um, and, you know, we talked about your law firm. We talked about some of the things that that you did and you were thinking about when it came to advancing that and changing things. Like, I love talking to Laura Scott and I love hearing their stories. They're so different from everybody I talk to. Like, what got you into like family law specifically or wanting to be a lawyer? Was it something you always wanted to do? No, actually. <laughs> it, was not, <laughs> it was not on my radar at all. And after I graduated, I was a professional figure skater growing up. Oh, and wow. um, and so sports was really my main focus and priority. I got pregnant, you know, so you get pregnant, you get married. That was the the path that I took. We married really, really young. Um, we had been married seven years, had three kids, and the marriage wasn't working, which I won't get into the details of it, but okay. it wasn't working. So went through a divorce and, you know, there was a lot of emotional trauma that goes through with the divorce right. where the marriage wasn't healthy. So there was this roller coaster of emotions where some days I'd be really excited about getting out because finally I can find peace in life that I didn't have. Then I'd be absolutely devastated because this, this belief I had in love and commitment was torn apart. You know, I didn't believe in that anymore. So it was a mm. crash of everything I believed my entire life. There were days where I was completely afraid of what was going to happen. You know, how was I going to continue to support my children? Um, what was I going to do? So there were all these things going on. And I remember speaking to a woman who was sitting next to me in court, because that's all you do when you go to court, you just sit around and wait. <laughs> yeah. So I was speaking with her and she had mentioned, you know, how do you like your lawyer? And I was like, oh, you know, he's fine. He seems to know all the lingo. And, yeah. but, it, and she looked at me and she goes, yeah, but they don't get it. And mm. that resonated with me. And I remember going home that night being like, yeah, I feel the same way, but what is it? And I think, you know, after I thought about it, it really was all those ups and downs. It's walking into court and feeling like you're just getting punched in the gut because yeah. you are facing, you know, your life 
is up for grabs. You're walking in to a complete and total stranger who doesn't seem to give a crap about you. You know, the, the judge yeah. that sits there and they hear 10 minutes of your, you know, your entire life in a 10 minute window. Yeah. And then they're going to make decisions if you're not able to come to agreements. And, you know, if you haven't done the work of building up your boundaries, and I've seen your videos where you talk about this, and it's so important of being able to improve yourself so that, you know, I watched one recently where you talked about, you know, the narcissist and you can't control them. But if you don't figure out why they chose you and why you have allowed the patterns to continue, how do you face that in a court hearing where you're being pressured to come to agreements yeah. without building that? So I looked at the entirety of the situation and I said, I think I can do this better than how I see it happening. And I think divorce, you know, you can pay, you can pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get your divorce agreement. But at the end of the day, it's writing on a piece of paper that means crap, unless you have done the things for yourself to get you in a better position moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if that process starts at the same time or before you actually file for divorce, or you're going through the breakup, or, you know, you're heading into court, it actually helps your lawyer get a better result as well. Yeah. And so that's that how sense. I've built the vision for my firm of bringing all of that together, where it's not just a focus on the legal result. It's a focus of really changing your life. And with that comes changing you. And that's that's where we built it. That's why I got into it. So after, you know, throughout okay. my divorce, my kids were under the age of six. I went community college. Then I did undergrad. Then I did law school. Then, uh, you know, I did my own career until in 2016, I opened my firm. Okay. So professional figure skater turned lawyer, right? Family yep. law attorney. And like, I, I love, I, I love what you're saying about like you, you were in it and then you like, I can do this. Like I can do this better almost. Like it's like, I, it reminds me of my story. Like when I came, you know, I spent 15 years in the army before I transferred to the air force and, you know, I was enlisted for seven years and I saw all the officers doing their thing right and making like these what I thought were like bad decisions and I'm mm -hmm. like I can do this better that's kind of why I wanted to transition from being enlisted to becoming an officer because I was like I want to be able to make some decisions I want to be able to lead these people I want to be able to you know guide it guide you know make some of the the decisions that affect people's lives right mm -hmm. and um I know we're talking about like we're going to get into best interest of the child but I want to talk a little bit more about what you said um, if you're, you know, if you can figure out what's getting in your own way, if you can figure out some of your own stuff before you go into this process that helps you and, and helps to lead to better outcomes. So how involved are you as a lawyer, like when it comes to uh, your client's personal growth and development? Is it, is it something you encourage? Is it something you like, you're like hands off or you just meet them where they are? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, it's a matter of, you know, we've, we've grown throughout the years. So, you know, I, I like to think I started off, obviously, it was just me. And then we've continued to grow. As we've continued to grow, we've been able to add in different things. You know, we just last year, we had a high conflict relationship coach come on board that they can work specifically with the clients, because as much as we have, you know, attorneys come in, and we work with them on training them on different ways in order to help someone with their personal development. At the end of the day, you don't want to pay your lawyer to help you with your personal development because right. we're charging astronomical prices and we try to, to have it be a focus so that everything is forward facing. You know, we're not getting yeah. stuck in the past. We're always looking at a different perception. You know, how can you look at this differently to help us to settlement? But I think going back, you know, where we are now is different than where I started. And I remember a case that I had, but I think, you know, the underlying issues still continue where it's a matter of your past is your past. And I honestly believe no one is as bad as their worst mistake. Mm -hmm. But that being said, if you've made a mistake, you have to take responsibility for that. And you have to be willing to do the work to put yourself in a better position. Yeah. And so, you know, there's certain, there's certain cases that we won't take, you know, we, we have yeah. a pretty solid intake process where if somebody is just an, I don't know if I can swear on your thing, Say but if, you somebody, want. <laughs> if somebody's an <laughs> asshole basically, and they're not willing to take responsibility for stuff that we hear is 
probably, you know, either somehow they they had responsibility. Right. And we're hearing just the blame game. And this could be from a man, it could be from a woman. The second somebody comes in and just wants to blame the other person without any acknowledgement, that's that's what we consider not an ideal client for us. Yeah. But you, you can have somebody and is probably one of my favorite cases ever, one of my favorite clients. He came in, this was maybe maybe eight or nine years ago at this point, but mm -hmm. he came in, he had an attempted murder charge up against him. He oh, had wow. found his wife cheating, um, went after the guy with a hammer. Wow. It, it was a mess. And so throughout that, the wife had turned the kids against him and told, you know, the kids, a lot of things that it completely ruined their relationship. And so he came to me and he was angry and it was, you know, this was her fault. This is, and I remember sitting there going, look, I'm willing to actually take on your case, but not if all you're going to do is blame her. You know, yeah. you had the choice. You, you got caught up in emotion, but you had a choice. And he took that so serious and he got himself in therapy. And I remember at one point he was calling me and, you know, I've done a lot of my own therapy through the years. I'm very much into personal development, personal yeah. growth. I talk about it with everybody. Um, and I remember him talking with me and like, we're, we, we weren't talking law. We were talking about how to change perception. And I remember saying, this would be a lot cheaper if you just call your therapist. Yeah. And he said to me, he goes, yeah, but I think I actually get more out of you than I do my therapist so I'm just going to keep paying you hey I'll tell and you. <laughs> that that showed me how important it was but we took this case of this guy who had no relationship with his kids was angry at the world and it was I want to say it was approximately a three-year process by the time we went to trial he walked away with sole legal and physical custody of his kids he kept the house she had to pay my attorney fees um, the case completely turned around. He's had a great relationship with his children. Awesome. She's kind of backed out. Um, and that, you know, I can sit here and pat myself in the back and be like, oh, I got him this great legal result. I would not have been able to do that if he didn't do the work on him. And that's why I think it's so important that it goes hand in hand. That's awesome. And I think it's that's a message that so many people need to hear. Because mm -hmm. like the, I, I can imagine in in your line of work and and what I do too, like you, the you see the blame game constantly, and it's like okay, like that's actually like so in the book there's ten principles, and the first principle is like identify where you are, All right? Like I like let's do some some introspective um, thinking in this process because we got to identify where where am I as far as like what can make it difficult to co-parent with me. Right. Like I hear everybody say, like, how difficult it is co-parent with the other person. But have you ever asked yourself what can make it difficult to co-parent with you? Like, so just things like that. So I, I love that that aspect of, of your your thought process and what you do and how you're helping clients. And it's just like, that's why you're in it. That's why you yeah. do it. Right. Like to help people. And so <clears throat> we're going to talk I mean, more. I'd be lying if I was like. You know, I don't care about money, of course. Of oh, course, yeah, I care yeah, about yeah. money. <laughs> Absolutely. But, Absolutely. but that's not, I, I honestly believe anything you do in life, if you do it in a way that is right, I think you can make money doing everything, you know, yeah. absolutely anything. But the the reason behind it is because I want to make a better process. I want to make, you know, somebody come through the process and be like, my attorney had my back. They understood what I was going through yeah. and I didn't feel alone. And I think yeah. that's a really, really important aspect within the divorce or custody process. Uh, man, like, because I hear a lot of people say, like, I don't feel like my, my attorney is, is the exact opposite of what you're saying. Like, I don't feel like mm -hmm. my attorney really has my back. I feel like maybe like the attorney, they're in cahoots with each other. Like they're talking behind the scenes. Like it's, I hear that a lot as well. And, mm -hmm. um, but let's, I want to talk more about this personal growth and development stuff, but we'll, let's get into that topic at hand, right? And we're talking about, you know, the topic is best interest of the child, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I see a lot of varying opinions on this. I see, you know, I know that, you know, it can vary by state and, you know, the, the court has their ideas and how they determine um, and their metrics of how they determine best interest of the child. So for the common person, 
what are some of the, the the common misconceptions about what it actually means that you when you see um, people come into your office? What what are the misconceptions that that people have for the just a common person? I think one of the biggest ones is this belief that whatever. So let's say I'm the parent and I'm female, so I'm going to pretend I'm mom. So mom's coming in and based off of my experience, which may have been very negative with my ex, I have this understanding of what I think is best for my children. Right. That could be very different than what the court thinks is best for your children. And sometimes getting the expectations to meet what the reality is can be very, very difficult. And just because you think something's best doesn't mean that that's what's going to play out in court. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the biggest ones. It's something I, you know, we train everyone within our firm to help manage expectations because you can't just tell somebody coming in, you know, and we hear, we hear this from moms, we we've heard it from dads, but it's more typical from moms where they're like, we don't want him to have anything to do with the kids or at the very, the very most supervised visitation. And it's like, no, unless there's some significant occurrence, and I'm not saying there's not in every case, like there are definitely some cases where it's not good for the other parent to be around the children. Yeah. But for the most part, the court is going to want both people to be involved so long as it can be shown that there's a healthy way to do that. So, but all the time, you know, we get, oh, well, my cousin, you know, my cousin said that this happened in their case, or, you know, my coworker said this happened in their case. So yeah. that's what I want. And that's, that's probably one of the worst things you can do is walk in with an expectation because it happened in somebody else's case, it's going to happen in yours, because it's so fact dependent, as well as dependent on what judge you get assigned to, right. you know, in, in Massachusetts, specifically, your case gets assigned to a judge which you're supposed to have for the life of your case. Okay. Um, we've had a lot of turnover recently within our judges, so it's been it's been switching, but that's how it's supposed to go. So with that, you could have two different judges. You could have the same case in front of two different judges, and they're going to have their own biases. And this yeah. is one of the problems with the court, you know, which I completely understand. Um, but you have to take that into consideration because that's where we are in real life. So yeah. it's important for the lawyer to know what the judge's biases are. Yeah, that's a, that, I think about that often, you know, I had because I had a I had a case that, that I had to deal with myself um, that um, and where I actually represented myself. And I was thinking, you know, I'm presented to the judge and I'm like, man, this this one person has a lot of power. Like and you and you mentioned like the biases I, and and they're human just like me, and they mm -hmm. have their own experiences and their own biases. But like they they it's like they hold my life in their hands. Yep. And it's like it's just such an interesting concept, and you know I don't even know if that's something that needs to be looked at or that that's like a fair thing or but it's just it's the way it is right yeah and I've had you know I've had discussions I don't know how to fix it you know because I I've gotten and I see this on my TikTok all the time people are like oh you're just part of the problem there's certain things within the you know what I would refer to as an organization there are good things and there are obviously bad things yeah. I don't know how you fix that issue you know there's definitely things that need to be done. It's one of the reasons why I was drawn to becoming a family law attorney because I saw things wrong with the process and the system. Yeah. But to be able to make that better, I, I, that's the part, you know, I'm really interested in figuring out a way to make it better, but that still works, you know, where yeah. it's not just then giving more power to a single person, um, you know, with private privatization of family law. I don't know if that's a solution or not, or if you're basically then throwing money at the problem, yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's, there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but um, yeah, that, that's definitely one where they're human. It's definitely worth, it's definitely worth a conversation. I'll say mm -hmm. that. Um, can, do you have any, like, do you have any examples of what someone might think, okay, the, the court should be considering this for, you know, the best interest of my child. And it's really not a factor. <laughs> um, I think probably the most common one is, you know, the, the smaller things that are more difficult to prove. Um, 
but it really, the way that I see it is it depends on if there's a pattern. So if there's an underlying unhealthy pattern, it's a stronger argument than, um, let's say, let's say somebody calls and they're like, you know, they, the other side smokes a lot of pot. Mm-hmm. Unless you can prove that that smoke, that pot smoking or marijuana use or however you want to refer to it um, or however they're consuming it is somehow negatively affecting their ability to parent, mm-hmm. which is very different than them just smoking pot, which All in right. my state, you know, we can do that. We have we have pot stores you can just walk into. Right. So it's not it's not that same, you know, go back 10 years where it was like, oh, you're smoking pot. That's horrible. Yeah, you know, it's, like, so it's, it's a different thing. Same thing with drinking. You know, you might have two people, one who doesn't really drink a lot or for some reason has given it up. And you have another person who's a social drinker and maybe they drink a little bit more than, you know, whatever the doctors recommend but it's not necessarily a problem. But then that person who has a different outlook does believe it's a problem. And and getting those two things to align, I think can often be a problem, but it's so fact specific. Like um, if somebody comes in and they've recently had an OUI, that would tend to, you know, form a basis to be able to bring it into court saying that this is a problem. If somebody is just saying, you know, they drink every night, it's going to be very, very hard to prove that in court. So it, it I wish I could think of a, de- a better example right now, but I can't. <laughs> you said OEY. Like, or can you explain to people who may not know what that like? What? Oh, sure. So it, um, I think it used to be called a DUI or OUI um, operating under the influence or driving under the influence where you've been arrested and basically you know, you've either refused a breathalyzer and gotten your license revoked, or, you know, you take the breathalyzer and you end up in jail. (laughs) Usually something like that shows that your thought process and your decision-making is not in the right place. Because that can be caused, that's caused something different in different states, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so some people, they don't understand the difference, um, even between like there's DUI driving under, you know, the influence or, or, DWI driving while intoxicated or yep. like there's different there's different um, definitions to those things but like how when you so if you have a different so if you have a client right well, how do you how are you handling like difficult difficult clients so if you have somebody I, like I imagine there are people that come in and they're like this is in my like they're dead they have a dead set you know you know conviction about what's in the best interest of their, of their child mm-hmm. they're like they're not and they're not trying to waver and in your mind, you like, look, this is not a solid argument. <laughs> it's not, like, how do you how do you handle that type of situation? Well, usually, I mean, that's as much as it's a difference in legal outlook. It's also a personality difference. Um, so usually, how we deal with it now is we have our intake process. So they have to speak with our our intake coordinator. They go through a case evaluation. Throughout that, you know, they're talking about what their desired goals are. Now, if those goals and our intake person is not an attorney, but they have enough experience to understand what we're looking for. Right. So then if there is some serious concerns about, you know, what I'm hearing doesn't line up with what they're wanting, usually the first step would be doing an attorney consult, which for our firm is paid. So they basically sit down with an attorney for an hour and they go through you know, is there anything that we're missing that would substantiate what you're looking for or is there not? Mm-hmm. And we have had people call in again, you know, this one's more based on women, mm-hmm. but we've had women call in and been like, well, the last attorney I said, I spoke with, you know, they said that I should just get a restraining order. If I'm concerned about the custody of the kids, that's not something we would ever, you know, if, if there's a legitimate basis for the restraining order, we might talk about the reasons to get one. But if it's just a strategy, like that's something we'll never do. And if somebody comes in and that's what they want, we basically X them out right away. Okay. Um, you know, and so we we take them through that. And if we find that they're going to be a difficult client because either they're, they don't want to hear about the other side. And, you know, again, within the training with our staff, 
we're trained to kind of poke holes in a story because you need to know where the other side is going to be coming from. Right. So if, if somebody comes in and they're telling us, you know, their, their background story and we're seeing these holes in it, things that don't make sense, you know, we put some pressure on them right at the beginning to try to figure out what's going on. And when you get people who don't like that, there's usually a reason they don't like it because they just want you to say right. exactly what they want you to say. And they, they typically won't even hire us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we don't have to worry about that too <laughs> nice. often. Um, but, you know, we have had some people come through where we have believed their story and then throughout the case, you know, discovery or whatnot, or just personality conflicts, we see that, hey, you know, our client seems to be the one that is the problem. And I can think of three cases specifically where, and again, unfortunately, these are all women, but, um, you know, where we told our client, if you keep doing the things you're doing, you're going to lose custody. Like this isn't, this isn't, we keep fighting for you to have so legal and physical, like you're going to lose everything. And we've been fired because we've told people that, but sure enough, in every single one of those cases, they lost custody. That's not what the lawyers tell me. People are, people are stubborn as hell. Like, uh, I'm going to take a, I'm going to sidebar for a second. And and so if you're just listening and you can't see the interview right now, and you're just listening to it, the audio, Heather has a photo behind her and it's like, it looks like a poodle or like a dog or like a something. Oh, like, that's Pepe. That's Pepe. This other side. <laughs> like, where, tell me, tell me about this. I want to know about this because like this, this must be, is this one of your, you want your kids drew this or something or, or like. No, I'll put it over here for now. Yeah. So that, um, so, so and- I'm in my second marriage and my, my children now are all adults. Mm-hmm. So my youngest is almost 21. Okay. And then I got remarried to a man who has three younger children and we oh. have them half the time, what well, 50% of the time. So that was um one of his kids and I have another one over here. This is this is me in court. Uh. So <laughs> they drew that um for me. Pepe's our dog and uh I love That's penguins. A penguin. That's so a, okay, okay. That was that was me in court. That was a penguin <laughs> with sunglasses on. So you're like, you're cool. So obviously, and it's pink because that's my favorite color. <laughs> right. So just for the record, I fuck with anybody who got like random drawings in their background, like, you know, their kids <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> on TikTok, so this one up here, um, my mom's an amazing artist, and she put this together, and I just loved it. It's very fall, but I keep it up year round. Oh, and on TikTok, dope. people have been like, "Is that a charcuterie board?" <laughs> I'm like, no, it's art. <laughs> It, it really doesn't look, I don't think it looks like it, uh, but I don't think that's what there, it There's like. a couple really? videos I can see where they're coming from. But. Okay, but, like, but I, th- I think it looks pretty cool. That's awesome, man, that your mom did that. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. And, and it made me forget my next question. But um, I know something I did want to ask you. Uh, it's about your thought process from kind of when you started your your journey as a lawyer till now, like, when it comes to, if we're going to stay on topic, when it comes to best interest of the child, and you can and you can add anything really in here, is there anything that you believed when you became when you first became a lawyer that has changed over time, like about how you thought things should be, and you know, even if it when it came to best interest of the child, or just in general, when it comes to like this um, family law, something you believed as a lawyer, like really like it may even really firm in your convictions and like this over time as you've seen how stuff really works you're like you know what my, my opinion about that has changed yeah I think two things um one was based on my own experience I thought I was going to be doing a lot more um like domestic violence work representing the person who has been abused a lot more mm-hmm. and what I found and I've, I've been attacked from both sides for this, but you know, what I've found is that there is so much strategy that goes on of people abusing the system and claiming abuse when they shouldn't be claiming abuse, mm. you know, or um, misconstruing facts or taking like a little glimpse of something that happened and exploding it into something to be able to get you know, that black mark where if you walk into court with a restraining order and you then go to family court, yeah, 
you have an upper hand, you know, and there, there's no doubt about that. And based on my experience, I thought I would be doing a lot more plaintiff work in regards to the person who's experienced the domestic violence. But what I've found and what I've really become passionate about is when people abuse that and they lie and, and they get false restraining orders um, because that at the end of the day, and th this also goes into, you know, I've gotten very much into parental alienation. If somebody claims that falsely, so whether it's abuse, whether it's parental alienation, if they're abusing the system, that that gets to the, the deepest core of me because yeah. you are not only abusing a process, which at the end of the day is going to affect your children and your family, but you're making a mockery out of everything everybody who truly experiences those things goes through. Yeah. And it makes it a harder system for the true victims that need the protection or that need the help. And I think that's something I never really saw me going in that direction, but it's it's definitely ended up that way. Yeah. And then I think the, the second thing, um, we call it a guardian ad litem. So if there's a highly debated or contested um, divorce or custody arrangement, usually the court will appoint somebody called a guardian ad litem to do an investigation. And I got involved with that. You know, I was like, I'll be a great GAL, you know, figure out everything, be able to report back to the court, give recommendations. And what I, what I found is there's, at least in the cases that I've done GAL work, there's definitely two sides of the story and neither one of them are 100% telling the truth. And when, as a GAL, you get to sit down and you speak with kids because as an attorney, we don't we don't talk to people's children. You know, yeah. we talk with our client, we have their side of the story. And when you sit and you talk with kids and you you can hear many times the the conflict in them and how the parents fighting is affecting them. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And that's something where, again, the system needs to change. And I don't know how it should change, but it needs to change. Yeah. And it's so like, I know there's a lot of research out there. But like then there's like, like, for example, like 50-50, right? Like people, there's a lot of research out there that suggests, and, I, and people like to point to this all the time. I hear, like I have a Facebook group for co-parenting fathers, right? And um, a lot of those dads are struggling. They're 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 on a they they got the crappy end of the stick in court or something like that. And and they're they get the kids every other weekend or something like that. They're 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 seeing their kids less of the time. And they like to point to the the studies that fifty fifty custody. There's studies that it's it's best, it's best for the kids, All right? With that, but I think there's some elements. I think there's some factors that you have to really that may be missing there, you know, like I've talked to, I've also talked to quite a few kids who come from those situations and said it was like the worst, like it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, is there, do you, do you just have, do you have any thoughts on that? And on, you know, when it comes to 50, 50 and like what you've experienced, like what, what, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, I think this is probably something we could talk for hours and hours and yeah, hours about. Sure. Um, so feel free to to corral me and keep me yeah. focused. But it really, my honest opinion is that children are going to react as well as the parents set them up for. So if the parents are really working together, I think you can make pretty much any situation work. Mm -hmm. What I see doesn't work is when it's a more conflicted case and you have a lot of jumping back and forth, you know, in regards to a 50-50, if there's conflict, I like to try to do larger blocks where the child can come and settle down in one house, get into a routine mm -hmm. before they just jump back into the other parent's house. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the hardest things with 50-50 is the fact that a lot of guys don't set themselves up during a relationship to be in that primary caretaking position or to, to be in a, a position where if you have a judge who their most important thing is continuity for the child and keeping the status quo, and you've been in a situation where you work 40, 60, 80 hours a week, 
and you're not the person who's there taking them to doctor's appointments or being involved or, you know, doing the nighttime routine, the judge looks at the best interest of the child of how do we keep the continuity for the child? Right. Now, there's some judges that they look at, you know, what if you, by the time you get into court, this is a completely new situation, something very different than was, so everything can change. And in those particular situations, you know, you might have a judge that says, I don't care what was going on before. What can we make the new status quo now? Mm -hmm. And it's two very different outlooks. And again, this is where you can have the same case in front of two different judges and get two yeah. very different results. Um, I, I think that as long as the parents are healthy, and that doesn't necessarily mean they work well together. You know, yeah. typically the relationship doesn't end because the parents work well together. Usually it's because they don't really like each other all that all much right. anymore. <laughs> but as long as they're both going to do what's right for their child, I think both parents have that, or really it's the child's right to be able to be heavily involved with both of those parents on a regular basis. And when people start looking, you know, one, one of the things that we kind of look at when people are calling in, do they refer to the children as my children? Are these yeah. my children? You know, these are, this is my kid. This is my daughter. This is yeah. my son. Um, there's points in conversation where that's okay. But if it's, if it's a possessive outlook yeah. of this is my child and nobody's taking that from me or telling me what to do, that's a person problem. Right. And that spills out on your kids, which isn't healthy for them. So those are kind of, uh, again, I could, I could talk on this subject yeah, for hours sure. and hours. Yeah. And it, it, it's so, it's such a nuanced, uh, topic, right? Cause it's really, is every situation just has its own, you know, different elements to it. And you could, you could, based on your situation, maybe 50, 50 is best. Maybe it's not, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, maybe like you said, like a longer term, uh, you know, longer time so the kids could get settled. I like that. Um, but then it depends on how healthy are the parents. Like how, like there's so many different factors that you can, you can put into the pot as a, to determine whether or not it's best. Um, yeah. And I think when, when you're really going to start to see a change and I think that, you know, I consider, I consider at least the courts in Massachusetts, the majority of courts or the majority of judges, I think are fine with 50-50 if the case lines up. You know, if if somebody's been abusive, again, this is where the false allegations often come in. Um, mm -hmm. But if somebody has truly been abusive, they're probably not going to get 50-50. Right. Um, but the the other issue is their work schedule and where they work, where they live, where they move to. Yeah. And a lot of times when when you know two parents are together, they're making decisions based on best for the family. Right. And usually that comes down to one person working more than the other person because the other person is more of that that caretaker you know they're the ones that, that have to call out if the child's home sick yeah. they're the ones that have to leave their work in order to go pick the kid up from school if for some reason there's disciplinary action and they have to leave they're the ones you know it usually falls to one person while the other person still takes on that breadwinning role and I think sometimes, you know, you see those roles changing. I, I know plenty of dads who have become stay-at-home dads. Yeah. But when you're putting yourself in that position and then trying to go back and say, well, yeah, that's what we did while we were together, but now I want 50-50, the question is, can you do it? Yeah. You know, are you are you able and willing to actually make your child a priority where if there's no school, you're taking the day off? Yeah. And it, I think if people would set themselves up better at the beginning and be more involved one I think it would take a lot of stress off relationships yeah. and two you know it sets them up better if they have to go to court later do you find do do you find that a lot of parents get caught up in not necessarily the best interest of the child but what they feel like they may deserve and aren't thinking about the details of like what actually makes sense when it comes to like what's actually best for my child based on the logistics of our situation. Yeah. And I think this, this really is person to person. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a, a one answer across the board. I've seen people come in who have been that primary caretaker and they're like, yeah, they want 50, 50. And you know, how do we just, how do we make it work? You yeah. know, we both want to make sure that we're active in their lives and that's the outlook they have. 
Then we have other people who come in and they've been in that primary care position and they're like, no, like, this is what I've been. This is what I'm going to continue doing. I don't want to have to go get a job. My job is my children. And that can be very difficult in and of itself as well, because the court doesn't always look at it that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you have to have a really good, the younger the children are, the more likely the court is going to allow that type of situation to continue, um, especially with how expensive daycare is. But for the most part, both parents are going to be considered to be able and willing to take care of their kids. Um, We've also had, you know, parents who they're not able to do anything else, but every other weekend and they know it and they come in and they're great parents you know, but their work schedule just doesn't allow it. And they're like, I, yeah. I can't do it. Like, I just know that. So why am I going to fight over something I can't even have? Yeah, that's tough. But it's good that if you can recognize that and accept it, like to not make things more difficult than they have to be. All right. Are there, do you, do you, but I think I just want to throw a caveat out here Go ahead. because custody, anything related to the child and, you know, I'm licensed in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. That's where I practice. That's the only place I can give legal advice. But my guess is it's like this for most of the country mm-hmm. is that with child related issues, you can always go back to court and you can modify them right. if you can show there's been a substantial change of circumstances. Yeah. And I've seen people settle for less than what they really want because you know they just want to be done with it and mm-hmm. they figure I can go back in later. Mm-hmm. Although that is true, it can sometimes be very very difficult to change something you previously agreed to so i you know if if you're going in and let's say you're a dad and you want 50 50 make sure you're really pushing for that at the beginning and not settling for less and you know if you're if you don't feel your attorney has your back or has significant reasons to give you advice um you know or the advice that they're giving or you're feeling pressured get a different attorney like quickly yeah, I like that. Um, when it comes to like men, I know you mentioned like there was a case where you mentioned like mostly this is this is happening with women. You said something to that effect earlier. Do you do you find that there are some commonalities between like when it comes to best interest of the child and like the belief system between like men and women? Like, are there some are there some like basically yeah there's some commonalities that you find like men believe this when it comes to best interest of the child most women believe this like what do you what what do you see in your experience I mean I think this is the long term you know mom's the second my mind's going like 17 different directions right now so I gotta I gotta corral it but there was recently um a situation that happened around here where the mom murdered her her young children and that's one of those things that as a mother, I think the majority of people look at, as soon as you have a baby, you have that maternal instinct where mm-hmm. your life is going and everything you're going to do is focused on those children. And I think for many people, that's true, Yeah. but there's going to be people, whether it's because they never created that bond, maybe there's psychological issues maybe there's substance abuse issues there are going to be people for one reason or another that don't fit that mold but i think for the majority moms do get you know a lot more leeway because they're expected to be the one who always does what's best for their kids because they're the protector whereas the dad is more of the security and he's the one who's supposed to you know provide but they're not as emotional um I think that outlook is definitely still there and that underlying, you know, bias kind of runs through a number of things, but that's all in how you present your case, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do feel like just naturally from what I've seen that, you know, there's that maternal instinct that obviously men can't, you know, we, we don't know what it feels like to carry a child for nine months. Like we have no idea like what kind of bond is created or even what that might feel like. Um, but definitely seems like dads are, they're more willing to let that, the mom take on that role sometimes. And like, like, uh, and I don't know if it's because of the societal norms that we have and gender norms or like, 
and dad or even dads feel like they're like they dads more so feel like they can walk away mm-hmm. more than a, than a, than a mom does like it's like a mom is like like they can't even fathom i'm speaking in general terms obviously like they can't even fathom like walking away from their child but yeah. like that like but a dad can't it's like oh, i can just you know i'm gonna take care of it like i'm gonna do, do my thing i can see him on the weekend or every other week like and but like moms are like what like what am i gonna do without my kids <laughs> you know <Right. laughs> and i you know i again we've represented and I've been involved with a number of guys who are just fantastic fathers who want that and take that, you know, everyday role. But I think back, I remember after I had my first, you know, she was crying at night and my husband was like, you have to get her. I have to work. And it was like, (laughs) but we're both kind of parents here as well as the fact that I was working. (laughs) So, but my, my job was less important because I was seen as the person who was supposed to handle that. And I think that's still, you know, I think it kind of goes with a gender role. It kind of goes with the fact that, you know, they can't lose their, and that's where, again, the flexibility of a lot of people have to look for flexible jobs if they're the primary care parent, because they're the one who's expected to take the time off of work. And that, that falls into play with, um, you know, I've seen all the debates about child support and how, you know, if, if somebody needs child support, they shouldn't get the child. But if during your relationship or during your marriage, you've put the other person in a position where they can't work that same job because their focus is on the child, that's not, that's not fair either. Yeah, it's not fair. I felt like that's such a ridiculous argument. It's <laughs> <laughs> such, such a ridiculous argument um, that you can't just, you can't, uh, just boil down into that one statement. That's 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 ridiculous. And I think a lot of people that that's what, but that's what happens though with the the internet and social media and like people make these arguments online and like they just people just say things, and mm-hmm. it's like, can you explain? Can you explain in detail why you why you think that? Or like it's just like, but but you'll get so many people who will get on board with that statement too like and just they'll they'll love it and they're like yeah i agree but like really haven't thought through what it means to agree with a statement like that well and it, it just speaking the social media route like you never know what's true and i've seen this play out in a number of cases which i can't discuss you know and i can't even come back and say anything because of confidentiality purposes right. but we've had cases where evidence everything shows that the other parent is basically a piece of crap Mm -hmm. and should not have the kids and they go out and they create this whole GoFundMe with this sad story of you know how they're (laughs) being taken advantage of and everything's wrong and everybody's against them and they raise I've seen people raise quite a bit of money and I'm sitting there like you are a liar (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um you know you um, never you're not that. always getting the full truth and sometimes you're not even getting any truth right. in regards to things that happen online that's yeah man that's so true i've seen that <laughs> it's crazy but yeah people can say whatever they want yeah they can say whatever and they're and some people are really good at it they're good at painting a narrative and, and the story of of what they you know what they want people to believe um so i just i want to be mindful of your time but i do have a couple more questions for you um what do you think i know we talked about earlier we talked about judges in the in the system and how there's certain things that that may need to be reevaluated and and possibly changed but that's like that would take that would be a huge undertaking right um what are some immediate things that you think like some that, that are feasible to to be adjusted and that need to be changed when we're talking about like i say it could be on a topic of best interest of the child and how the courts operate and, and they determine that um, or just with the legal system, the family court system in general, what are some things that that you, in your eyes, need some adjusting and could use some work? I think one of one of the biggest things is the fact um, it's an ethical thing where if the other side is acting inappropriately, and we know of attorneys that will just run up bills, you know they. They come in and it's a scorch the earth. We got to fight everything. We can't talk. We can't discuss. This is us against you. And they come in and 
there's certain attorneys that if I see their name on the other side, I have to say to my client, this is going to be very expensive mm -hmm. because they're, they're going to play the game. They're going to throw everything at you. And then they have to make the decision of whether they want to still move forward with us or not. But when those things are happening and you know, the other side is not acting appropriately, there's, there's an ethics again, at least in Massachusetts, where if I go and I complain to the BBO and say, this attorney is acting unethically, that can actually be a strike against me because mm. they'll look at that as, oh, now I'm trying to play a strategy game mm. to get the other side in trouble. And that I think is something that really needs to be reevaluated soon because it's it's not the issues, you know, we deal... We deal with every issue you can imagine. Like if you've seen it on Jerry Springer, if you've seen it on Oprah, if you've seen it on Maury Povich, yeah. we deal with it. Yeah. So the issues aren't the problem. Our clients aren't the problem. You can have a high emotional client. That's expected. Yeah. But when you're dealing with an attorney on the other side who it's, it's about getting a result with, and I don't even know how to describe it, but I wanted to quit my job because of attorneys on the other side and they make they can make the practice incredibly difficult they can make the process not fair um and there's nothing you can do <laughs> you know and i think that if i could change one thing immediately that's that would be what it was that attorneys would be held responsible hmm. i like that that it needs to happen like because <laughs> I know there are pe people are abusing the system and they're taking advantage of people and you know what can you do about it right like and who's who's talking about it um, not enough people and man. you know I get lumped in with with you know lawyers are scum and they're they're horrible and there's definitely lawyers out there that have earned us that reputation yeah. <laughs> you you know? and I'm fully aware of that <laughs> But I I remember one case I had where um it was the biggest issue really came down to an alimony component and the other side was adamant that her client I was representing the husband in this in this one mm -hmm. um her client was going to get x amount of dollars I couldn't justify it so I couldn't agree to it you know my client mm -hmm. was like that I can't afford to continue living if I'm having to pay out that money right so what ended up happening is the the two the the wife and the husband would sit down and they'd talk together and they'd come up with things that they would actually agree to and then they'd bring it to us and her attorney would be like no that's that's not what you're doing mm -hmm. they even went to mediation completely separate you know lawyers not involved they went to mediation they came up with a full agreement we went into court and the attorney said to her client if you think you're going to sign that, you have to fire me first. And so my That's client ridiculous. came to me and he's like, I don't know what to like. We have an agreement. Right. And so what we talked about is I said, okay, well, you know, obviously there's some hesitation of her getting rid of her attorney if you're going to have an attorney. So why don't I withdraw so that she can basically fire her attorney and you guys can just enter that, you know, right. together without the attorneys, the work is done, you know, yeah. just sign it and get it in. And that was the route we had to go. But it that to me is insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's so insane. And uh, that's one of the reasons why like, I got, uh, I feel like I was drawn to you and wanted to chat with you because it seems like you're somebody who believes in, you believe in the ethics of all this and, and, and doing the right thing. And like, you're also, like you said, you believe, you 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 really are you love personal growth and development and so you've done some work on yourself and which makes you which is another thing I like about you because you're able to it seems like you take criticism and like the, you take the shots pretty well right like you can you can handle it because like you because you because you know who you are right mm -hmm. so like so people can say whatever they want and and throw whatever kind of shots at you they want it, it doesn't it's not going to mess with you, right? It's not going to sway you because you, you know who you are. And, well, and I think it's a matter of you take 
I mean, there's certain things people say that I'm just like, thank God I have thick skin because I can totally see how if you weren't sure of yourself, how some of the comments would completely destroy you. So I understand, you know, especially teenagers who are dealing with stuff like that, like it would be very, very difficult. But I always also look at, is there any truth to what's being said? You know, is there anything that maybe I should look at something a little bit differently? And what that does is it either reaffirms my belief and I say, no, I'm right. Like, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Or sometimes you can utilize that to say, you know, maybe there is a different way of looking at it. And I've gotten so involved and hung up on what I think is right, that I'm not seeing something else. So I think whenever there's criticism, there's always something to be learned about, whether that's reaffirming where you were previously, or maybe opening your eyes to something else. So I I appreciate the criticism. You know, I don't always like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love what you said, though. And I think people should take that same mindset into when, if they're going through this kind of battle and, you know, court custody, whatever, like when it comes to the best interest of their child, like if somebody has something to say that's in opposition to what I think or what I believe, then at least I can I can either do some research and reaffirm what I believe or I can like reconsider and yeah. I can reevaluate what how I think about this. And maybe there's another way to look at it. And I think everybody should have that mindset when you're com- when you're dealing with anything, really. Like, mm-hmm. please ch- challenge my beliefs, please, because I mm-hmm. because I want to, you know, I want to know. You know, I'm I'm about growth. I'm about improvement. Um, I'm open to suggestions and opinions, but like I'm not gonna be ruled by them. Yeah. 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 So, all right. So, last thing. Well, couple two last last two things. <laughs> One, since you are like really big on personal growth and development, do you have any books or like podcasts or that you that you really that you like say, man, I really love this podcast. I really love this book. Or you know. That when people like ask you for a book recommendation or anything, you're like, man, this is what comes to mind. And um, um yeah, I'll so that first. I'm I'm actually very big into Tony Robbins. I know he's had his issues, but I've gone to a number of his conferences. I've mm-hmm. done, you know, I've walked across the fire. And um, it's it's a matter of um, and I think for any of the personal growth issues, it's a matter of being around the energy of other people who are really looking forward to improving their life. Man. And um, so there, there's a lot of great things, you know, that so many different people utilize and YouTube, you can get so much of that for free. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just go on and you can search a name. Usually there's other suggestions that come up. I listen to a ton of Ted talks, um, you know, because personal development isn't always just about, you know, the way you think, but it's also educating yourself in other areas of things yeah. that you might not think about that make you think a little bit differently. So anything like that, you know, I think is great. Um, Anybody that I use for business coaching, usually I'm looking for people who are also, you know, understand it's, you can only do as well with the business as you are with yourself. And, um, you know, I'm always specifically looking for people who will bring it back to what does this mean for you? Like, what's your why? Why are you doing this? What is the purpose underneath it? Because if you're, if you're just acting, you're, you know, you're not living. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person where some of the best books that I've read, they came from other people, Like they were something that I wouldn't have read on my own. Like, so if I'm traveling or something and I see like a book sticking out of somebody's purse or something like that, I'll write it down and I'll, and I'll read it. Like, cause it'd be something that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked up on my own. Or I yeah. see somebody reading a book and like, let me write that down. Let me check it out. And so I love that. And so like, I, I like to end with like a kind of a cliche question. It's like, so if we're on the topic of best interest of the child and you have somebody that that's going through this or going to go through this or been through it, um, what's the nugget? What's the, like the big nugget you want to leave with people um, when it comes to how they should think and, and, you know, just maybe, um, shifting some perspectives about uh, best interest of the child when it comes to dealing with these co- situations in court. I mean, I think, you know, I want to try to sound like really wise, but <laughs> I think it's a matter of not relying so much on the legal outcome. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to what got me here 
What can I do to change it? How do I take responsibility for where I am so that I can deal with all the future challenges? You know, that I can handle them in the right in the right way that isn't going to negatively affect me or negatively affect my children. And I think if people started looking at it more of this is a growth opportunity rather than I need to keep things and keep them under my control, mm -hmm. I think people would find that they have one, a better experience and two, a better outcome. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. You said you're you're in Massachusetts and Delaware, right? Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Rhode Island, okay. Yep. Massachusetts smallest and Rhode state, Island. Smallest Listen. state in the U.S. <laughs> Heather, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to to have this conversation with me. Um, we'll have to we'll have to chat more in the future about things and just like you know collaborate wherever we can. And if you are looking for a lawyer in Massachusetts or Rhode Island. And you're looking for an ethical lawyer who's going to tell, tell you like it is, reach out to Heather at O'Connor Family Law. Tell them where they can find you. Uh, yeah, if you jump on our website, familylawma.com, that has a bunch of information. We try to keep it very educational, even if people don't hire us, that they can still get you know good information that they can utilize in their case. Um, you can find us on TikTok or Instagram, O'Connor Family Law. I think our Facebook is the same. So any of those places. Um, you know. Yeah, and I'll put all your information in the podcast notes and you'll be able to find her, all the links and everything like that. And if you want to check out my book, It's Not About You, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, everywhere. And uh, I'll be interested to hear, like, this is our front, these are the foundational principles, but I want to hear people's feedback and, you know, what we can do, how we can go deeper in the next one. And this has been another episode of The Molds That Make Fatherhood. Thank you for listening and thank you, Heather, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.